Here we go. Neutron proton mass effect. Lyrical oxidation. You're irrelevant. Mass spectrograph. Your electron volt. Atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons. Gamma rays. Thermal cracking. Cyclotron. Any and every mic you earn. Trans uranium. If y'all was uranium. Molecule spontaneous combustion. Bam. Law of definite proportion gain. Ink weight. I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff, astrophysicist and Pokemon master. I'm here with my co-host, improv specialist and butcher, Jordan Baker. And today we're going to talk about addiction and neuroscience with Dr. Jeff Grimm. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk now about addiction. And what is your specialty, real quick, before we get into like... Before we really get into it. Really get into it, I, like a short... I would say my specialty is a non... Complete specialty, I, I, I kind of think of myself as a behavioral pharmacologist. And my interest is in, interests are mostly in motivated behavior. But as we're talking about addiction today, that's really what's driven me in my research is focusing on that particular problem. So we have talked in the past, but we're going to go back into the Wayback Machine, the time machine. And we're going to talk about why you started into the field that you're in today. Okay. 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 That, 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 that was a... <clears throat> Cut him off guard. That's yeah. one of those questions, right. Yeah. Why are you a behavioral neuroscientist okay, right now? Okay, good. So yeah. starting kind of with the bigger picture. I, I, I've always been interested in uh, science. I, I think I was kind of coaxed that way. You know, parents were like, hey. And I had one teacher, I remember, not to pin it all on one person, but I, I think it was maybe sixth grade or something. Just a really effective biology teacher, somebody who was really interested in trying to make things come to life for the kids. So he did some quirky things, like uh, he came across a raccoon one day that had been run over. <laughs> came across the raccoon. Fresh. <laughs> made friends with him. Right. Made yeah. friends. Right. Him I, a this is what he morning. told us, that it was an accident. So I don't know. <laughs> but he, anyways, he showed up with a dead raccoon, and right. that turned into an opportunity. So let's dissect this raccoon and we're like, yeah. Uh, but he did like the, like all the organs that he would take out and then he had, I'm still coming back to me now, um, <laughs> like the heart and then I remember he had the lungs. It sounds really just kind of, maybe no, I dreamt all this. No, no. it's real. I it's think a memory of a it's memory. It's a memory, no, yeah. And he got down and he gave a little CPR well, so you could see the lungs working. Yeah. Did he? With a straw. Oh, That's the yeah. thing, though. He had, like, I remember he had, I like, mean, a straw. He was like, sanitary. With this roadkill. And then he, like, eventually, like, over, so this was, like, over days, so I'm assuming he kept it in the fridge, like, overnight, but got into, like, <laughs> boiling down the get to the bones and all that so we could, like, look wow. at the, the structure and all that. He was one of those science teachers that went up for... Uh, competition to try to do the space shuttle. Or the Challenger. Yeah. Oh. So that goes, I mean, that shows you how old I am, I guess. No, too. no. But, um, but he did not get he on did, He didn't make the however many cuts to, to get into that, that close into it. But he was one of those oh. people, you know, well-respected. Yeah. Cuts, that was a pun. Mm. Yeah. Autopsy. Oh, oh you're right. autopsy. <laughs> Good, Good one. one. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the big, pot, like, pot. Boiling. Where he's <laughs> boiling. boiling the animal. <laughs> the dead yeah. raccoon and it's got its arms out. Like Actually, it's yeah, in a like jacuzzi a tub. tub. Right. Yeah. Well, how, how did he get the kids the to like not be repulsed by boiling a dead animal? That I'd have to go back and watch the video. Yeah, right. Which doesn't exist. Right. But yeah, I don't the video remember, in your memory. Yeah, I don't remember being that. It was gross, but not so gross. I think he helped, he helped just kind of make it like, hey, this is interesting. This is cool. And he did the thing like uh, when 
with the telescope and the sunspots and all, you know, you can look and not burn your eyes out and all that kind of good stuff. Just right. little memories like that. So and then in high school, a couple good biology teachers. So I knew like when I went to college, I was going to do something probably with biology right. and maybe with that kind of history of physicians, stuff in the family, maybe in med meshed. school or something. My dad, he's retired as an orthodontist. Actually, there's yeah. a lot of physics in <laughs> orthodontics, and I didn't wow. really know that at the time. I know that now. Okay. Um, tell me tell me about the physics in orthodontics. Well, just from moving stuff around, That's like true. force okay. and all this. We should have him come, come on and talk about it. He loves to talk about it. Okay. But I didn't really think about it then, but now I kind of think, yeah, there's a lot of that. And yeah. watching him when he'd think, like, how am I going to fix this kid's mouth? And i got to move this and then put enough torsion or what, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. over the next couple of years, I figured I, I really liked research. And that was, again, working with professors. I ended up having a really good mentor at the college I went to. Which was? Which was Whitman College. So this, this mentor is like at Walla Walla, or sorry, at Whitman in Walla Walla. And what does he or she do for you that really? Well, she, so she was new okay. when I was new. And sometimes that's kind of a, an interesting situation. I actually had that later in graduate school, kind of a new person that had just been hired. So back, backing up back to Whitman. So she was new, looking to have students come and work with her and her research. I was like, okay, let's hear about what you do. And she was working with caterpillars at the time. Awesome. Oh, that's but, right. right. You were telling so us about- So there's these creepy yeah. caterpillars. Yes. And they're actually quite like pretty in a sense. They're the tobacco hornworm. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty. Yeah, man Sounds Manduca pretty. sexta. Okay. For the science-y. Uh, Caterpillar for the types. Latin, Latin <laughs> nerds out there. <laughs> but they're br a bright green, like this kind of almost like neon green. They do have like a horn that I think it's more to distract the birds because it's on the back end, and then the birds, I think, think it's the, fr I don't know. So then they can run away while the bird's going out. Okay. The that, that's what the, she was saying is okay. in the literature. But, anyways, what we were looking at was more of a protein involved in molting. So when they have the the cocoon, uh, and then they need to break out. This one hormone starts that process. So she was interested in if you learn more about that protein, you could learn more about ways to like shut it down. So then maybe you could inhibit the ability of these caterpillars to turn into the hornworm, the moth. That which is invasive. It's right? inv well, it's a problem with to with tobacco, which mm -hmm. um, is is a problem if you're a tobacco farmer. You probably shouldn't um, have named it after <laughs> a tobacco yeah. plant. <laughs> well, um, but it's also know. related to the tobacco plants are related to like tomatoes and stuff like that. Right. So there's, we were talking about yeah. that and how in The Simpsons there's that episode where they crossbreed the tomato and the uh, tobacco and they call it tomacco. I always <laughs> thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever until I started talking to you and you're like, actually, they're really there's similar. There's some relationship there, yeah. yeah. But the, so the cool thing about the lab then is we got to take the tobacco hornworm put them in a blender, you know, just like a normal blender, and then you, you whip it up, and it's like this green, frothy shake. Again, really neon green, and that was where we started with the process of extracting this, this one protein. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a, you know, shake you'd get at the co-op or something. Like an Oddwalla superfood? A lot of protein. <laughs> was, there, was there accidents? <laughs> <laughs> Of people oh, getting oh, yeah. confused. Oh, sorry, I drank your hot wallet. No. Yeah. It was too neon for that. It wasn't. Yeah, it was like okay. creepy neon. But but that you know, stuff like that. And she really let me, you know, work 
independently, she'd show me how to like run the protein gel, but she wasn't like standing over there like da 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 da. Yeah. It was figure things out, trial and error, screw things up, sure. And that was okay. So yeah. that was a good start. She sounds great. Yeah. She's, is she still there? She is still there. Wow. Do you remember her name? Can you want to name drop uh, it? Yeah, shout Ken, out. Dr. Kendra Golden. Oh, okay. Dr. Golden. She switched to studying more um, bacteria stuff later okay. on. So there's no more green shakes? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Maybe she but picked it's something, something else any, like yeah. purple. Anyone can yeah. do on their free time. Really? At home. Why not? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I should tell my daughter this. She's very yeah. into like making potions. You'll never use the blender again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back to um, so kind of to you know tobacco and addiction I think I right, can kind of see it a connection there. but uh, that probably didn't happen until grad yeah, school right it wasn't on purpose no I yeah. did not do though no. grad school though that's yeah. where the the drug stuff happened yeah the so drug that's <laughs> usually where it does happen college <laughs> college yeah it's usually college uh, I so I went to grad school knowing that I wanted to study biology and behavior kind of mix those two together. So I you know, was a biology major, ground up the caterpillars, all that fun stuff. At the same time, I, I found that I was also interested in human behavior. And I took, uh, not, I guess, several courses in psychology. I ended up getting a minor. And that, I found that to be really interesting, like the idea that, oh, we can try to figure out why people do what they do. And social psychology was becoming like, it had been going pretty strong at that time, but it was becoming like really like people were talking about, hey, we can understand like bystander apathy and all that, you know, why do people do these really stupid things and and the the role of the, the context and all that kind of stuff. So I was like really interested in that, but I was also interested what, in the biology. What era was this? Like what time frame was this? And I don't mean to age you, what, what, but I'm, what, I'm thinking you, of this, this the Seinfeld episode yeah. of bystander apathy, right? Where they get arrested for not helping out somebody who's being like, Robbed. Oh, yeah. Sure. So this was would it have been, that, that would have been before okay. that. Okay. <laughs> before that. Before got 1998. It. Got it. <laughs> right. Well, it was like 1995. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. this was like late 80s. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, but that, you know, that's still yeah. a question that comes up when, because it still happens. Yeah. We have a maybe totally a better does. understanding. I'm not a social psychologist, so I wouldn't but you know, pretend you to explain all that, but yeah, I have a minor. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, you know, it still happens just because yeah. we kind of get a, have a better idea how it happens. Does it mean we can stop it from happening, unfortunately? Right. Uh, so I was interested in that. I took one course in psychology that was actually a kind of interdisciplinary biology psychology course. And like we have here at Western, it's a class I teach, uh, like behavioral neuroscience. It was called psychobiology. Or it had a different name, but the same kind of idea, like pushing those two things together, like what's going on in the brain related to behavior. Right. And so that, that's where I ended college thinking that that's, that's something I'd really want to study somehow. And there's a lot of ways you can study that. I was actually kind of interested in epidemiology, like, you know, human health. Mm -hmm. Like, what are, you know, why do people over time, like, why do some people end up sicker than other people and that right. kind of thing. Um, but when I got to the program at WSU, so I went to, to Pullman, so You've been to Pullman, right? Nope. Oh my gosh. 
I, I got my PhD from WSU, too. Go, go Cougs. I thought you guys were friends. <laughs> he <laughs> knows this. He, just, he didn't go you there. You never visited while yeah. she was there for no, I lived probably a long time. He was yeah. in California at the okay. time, yeah. But so yeah. I, I like where you're going with this. So basically, you're you're looking into like why people do these things and like why. And we're going to get to this video. So we're going to take a quick break. And um, our listeners and viewers will listen and watch this video um, by, um, I'm going to try to say this. I've been practicing a lot. Um, Chris Gesagt. You got it. Chris Um And it's a, a, a YouTube channel. And Chris Gesagt means in a nutshell in German. And they did this video on addiction, and it's an adaptation of Johan Hari's New York's bestseller, um, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. So it's a very short video, um, about three minutes long, and then we'll, and then we'll talk about your actual research. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. What causes, say, heroin addiction? This is a really stupid question, right? It's obvious. We all know it. Heroin causes heroin addiction. Here's how it works. If you use heroin for 20 days, by day 21, your body would physically crave the drug ferociously because there are chemical hooks in the drug. That's what addiction means. But there's a catch. Almost everything we think we know about addiction is wrong. If you, for example, break your hip, you'll be taken to a hospital and you'll be given loads of diamorphine for weeks or even months. Diamorphine is heroin. It's in fact much stronger heroin than any addict can get on the street because it's not contaminated by all the stuff drug dealers dilute it with. There are people near you being given loads of deluxe heroin in hospitals right now. So at least some of them should become addicts. But this has been closely studied. It doesn't happen. Your grandmother wasn't turned into a junkie by her hip replacement. Why is that? Our current theory of addiction comes in part from a series of experiments that were carried out earlier in the 20th century. The experiment is simple. You take a rat and put it in a cage with two water bottles. One is just water, the other is water laced with heroin or cocaine. Almost every time you run this experiment, the rat will become obsessed with the drugged water and keep coming back for more and more until it kills itself. But in the 1970s, Bruce Alexander, a professor of psychology, noticed something odd about this experiment. The rat is put in the cage all alone. It has nothing to do but take the drugs. What would happen, he wondered, if we tried this differently? So he built Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats. It's a lush cage where the rats would have colored balls, tunnels to scamper down, plenty of friends to play with, and they could have loads of sex, everything a rat about town could want and they would have the drugged water and the normal water bottles. But here's the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, rats hardly ever use the drugged water. None of them ever use it compulsively. None of them ever overdose. But maybe this is a quirk of rats, right? Well, helpfully, there was a human experiment along the same lines, the Vietnam War. 20% of American troops in Vietnam were using a lot of heroin. People back home were really panicked because they thought there would be hundreds of thousands of junkies on the streets of the United States when the war was over. But a study followed the soldiers home and found something striking. They didn't go to rehab. They didn't even go into withdrawal. 95% of them just stopped after they got home. If you believe the old theory of addiction, that makes no sense. But if you believe Professor Alexander's theory, it makes perfect sense. 
Because if you're put into a horrific jungle in a foreign country where you don't want to be, and you could be forced to kill or die at any moment, doing heroin is a great way to spend your time. But if you go back to your nice home with your friends and your family, it's the equivalent of being taken out of that first cage and put into a human rat park. It's not the chemicals, it's your cage. We need to think about addiction differently. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about addiction with Dr. Jeff Grimm. So, in the video, uh, it was 21 days for a heroin addict to become addicted to heroin. Was that it? Their, their body starts to crave it? No, yeah. the video, I think, is it's a nice introduction to some of the, the issues that are really important. So, like, what is the nature of addiction, that kind of thing, you know, what are possible solutions, but by itself, and probably because it's so quick and it's meant to be consumed, you know, by a general audience without having to get into too many of the details, there's some oversimplification. So I don't know if there's actually, a, you know, clinically speaking, like a particular number of exposures for somebody to become addicted to heroin. I'm sure it could be far less than 21 days. Right, I mean, how many times did you... <clears throat> You know, were, did you do the heroin in that 21 yeah. days? Just like, once a day, 21 right. days. Was it like <laughs> two or three times 10 a day? 10 times a day, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the reason I say that is because addiction, I'm doing this thing again. Yeah. Did you see the first one I did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should take this time and actually yeah. like, like give a good definition yeah. of addiction. Yeah. Because I don't think they kind yeah. of do that. They just go right into addiction. They don't say like addiction is blah. Yeah. You know. So what what do you guys think it is? I think it's, it would be just like the after the 21 days where your body oh. just becomes like it needs it. So it needs it. Okay. And, yeah. and it's sort of like a mental thing too. Sort of like would force you to do certain things around your day that you're like, all right, I need my heroin around this right. time and this time, or I need to start drinking by this time I, I to feel normal. Right. right. I had read that the other part of the definition was that addiction is that that causes you to do actions that are detrimental to your like well-being, to mm -hmm. your life. So it was something like you would do things that w were not productive like skydiving no that is detrimental <laughs> right on yeah. average my sister my sister actually you know is Watching. a lawyer who like puts people in jail which addiction is kind of a common theme and so mm -hmm. like if your addiction drives you to like let's say steal you know or mm -hmm. or like borrow too much money and not pay it back or like not come not go to pick up your kids or something like that so things that are harmful to your life mm -hmm. That's like an addition to what Jordan was saying about the medical right. part. So, um, so you mentioned like a physical thing, physical addiction, like, which is the, the term is typically dependence. So you, you literally become dependent. Like your body, if you take the drug away, you get sick. So there are some drugs that have that particular outcome in heroin, the opiates, that's a, the real classic example, alcohol. Um, I mean, caffeine, caffeine to some extent. Yeah. Um, like you go through the shakes. There's right? a withdrawal associated with it. And so typically with some withdrawal symptom is the sign that you were physically dependent. Uh, but that by itself doesn't mean you were addicted. And the video gets at that. Uh, it yeah. shows the people like grandma, she wasn't an addict just because she had... Hip replacement. Uh, her hip replacement, she had yeah. uh, morphine right. for that. So you can go through the process of becoming dependent you're probably going to go through withdrawal, assuming you had several doses of the drug, mm -hmm. but most likely you're not going to be like, oh, oh my God, i got to have some more of that afterwards, unless you're in, still in a lot of pain. Right. And that's what unfortunately does happen to people. And we could talk about like Oxycontin and all that, you know, because yeah. there is a problem with people that can't get off painkillers. 
but typically, I mean, if you're monitored, uh, you know, you probably are not going to have a problem. You might, again, be dependent, go through withdrawal, you're probably going to be good to go. But then you were doing like, then there's this mental stuff, right? Right. And you mentioned that as well. Right. So you were saying like, I've got to find ways to get the drug. I'm thinking about it. I'm going to procure some more. I've got to find my dealer or whatever. And then Regina was saying like, I might do some stupid stuff in order to get it. So that right. really, the, the, the definition of addiction Actually, the DS, so if you've heard of the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual of Only the from American you. Psychiatric yeah. Association. So if you're a psychology major, you know, they all learn a, a bit about this as undergraduates. And then if they go in the clinical direction, then they this becomes like this major resource they're looking at all the time. And if you could become a psychiatrist in medical school or nursing, all that kind of stuff, it's like this, this major thing when you want to diagnose somebody with some kind of psychiatric something. Okay. So in there... Just in the uh, just a few years ago, they changed some of their definition. It used to be a little bit more heavily dependent on definition <laughs> having dependence as part of it. Right. Uh, but it, now it's a little bit more nuanced, and they actually don't use the word addiction. They use substance use disorder. Okay. And then they have like specific details for alcohol and the opiates and things like that. But but overall, they have this big list, and some of the things you were talking about are on there, like dependence. You don't have to be dependent to have a substance use disorder, but it is one of the criteria. And like out of this many, if you have a couple of these over repeatedly over a 12-month period, you know, it kind of fits into the overall diagnosis. Um, but, and they, but they also have that you experience a lot of distress. You may engage in behaviors that are detrimental to your health and safety, well-being, that kind of thing. So that's the DSM. Another definition that mirrors that, but the language is a little bit different, and this is for people if they're interested, and you could look up the DSM online. You can also go to the National Institute on Drug Abuse website, and they still use the word addiction, uh, but it, it contains all those same elements. But the key things are essentially you're preoccupied with getting the substance and you experience distress and you experience craving and you do basically kind of stupid things in order to get it. And so that's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Really, if you, if from a psychology perspective, like all of those things, it's not just this one, I'm addicted to morphine because I'm dependent on it. It's maybe I experience withdrawal when it's taken away. So then I'm like, I don't want to have that withdrawal. So I want to take more of that drug. So that could drive the drug taking. But I also experience a lot of um, anxiety and this kind of the self-medication just on, on general. Maybe I was like that before I ever took morphine in the first place. Right. So that kind of keeps me going. Um, when I run into cues that remind me of when I used to take drugs. Right. This is hypothetical. With my friends. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I run yes. into that, that yes. those people or that right. place or that situation. Right. Then I start craving and I'm going like, oh, because craving for some people is like this real, it's like when you're really, really hungry. Right. You know, that feeling like, oh, I got to have this. And it becomes like this focus. And so I'm trying to understand, you know, trying to understand that as a question. And then the ability to hold back. Like if you experience all that stuff, like you go, you used to have a lot of cocaine in the 80s or something. Right. right? <laughs> People did that. that old, right? Right. And yeah. then you, you <laughs> quit and it's all, you're good to go. And then you, uh, you go to some dinner party or something and then like, hey, we cocaine. Right. I like, how, I like how you're <laughs> right. like, it has like a lid. Yeah. And they're like, okay, here we go. Like here we go. Yeah. And some hundred dollar bills. These and are not funny um, issues. Right. I realize that. Okay. So you're there like, <laughs> just, uh, the just the motion. You're yes. not dependent because like if it's cocaine, 
Right. There's not too much physical dependence that actually happens with cocaine. Really? Well, even if there was, it's been huh. years. Right. Because we're not in the 80s anymore. Correct. But these memories come up and then you start craving so that you, you feel that, oh my God, that, uh, I remember Plus what there's that, yeah. the peer pressure of all the other people Right, from maybe the there's the, the social context. Yeah. And like, come on, you want to do it? Uh, but your ability <laughs> to like say no, mm -hmm. that's one other thing that happens with some people are kind of on a spectrum. They're kind of more born in that on that side where they might have less ability to control their impulsive yeah. kinds of behaviors. But there's a lot of evidence showing that once you've taken drugs for a period of time, and it's not just cocaine, but heroin and other drugs, your ability, your brain changes, so you have less ability to control your impulsive behavior. So it's like this huge mess of things for an mm -hmm. addict. I'm using the word addiction. Because I, I tr actually, I trained at night at National Institute on Drug Abuse, so I'm kind of like more mm -hmm. using their language. But basically, you're, you're set up, uh, once you've had a lot of experience with uh, drugs of abuse, be become a dependent or not, right. but you know you you fit that category, those categories under the DSM or the, uh, like NIDA's definition. You're basically set up to fail. Like right. you, yeah. when you're in that situation, not only are you like oh, you're being like pulled towards it, uh, but your ability to to stop yourself. Like nobody's holding you back and saying no. I mean, you might right. be telling yourself no, but that part of the brain's like just being like shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Mm. Uh, you just don't have it. So you you were mentioning it after we watched the video that it it is very simplistic, but also that that study that was mentioned isn't always a hundred percent true. Like you were saying, not all the rats were super happy. Right? Didn't you say well, that? Like, well, actually, or didn't even get addicted in, in the in the cages, is, I think is what you said. Um, well, I look back at that that paper, and I don't want to diss on... This, so this was Dr. Right. Alexander's work. I'm sure he's great. He's written some books that a lot of people have really appreciated, I think. Yeah. Especially, um, I'm guessing, addicts, because it's always... I, I, it's always nice, I think, for people to feel like, hey, somebody's listening and trying to understand what I'm going through. So I think there's some good stuff in there yeah. about social support. But if you, especially, but if you go back to the original paper, so these are from the kind of mid-late 1970s, it's pretty neat what he saw. Right. But the video makes it, it just kind of dramatizes it a little bit. So okay. like, here, do you remember that one part in the video? So yeah. the, the rat's like, here's the morphine, here's the water, and the morphine has the skull and crossbow. I should have known. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he, he How can we not yeah. recognize the dangers? <laughs> yeah. And, and it says something like, Rats will consume uh, to the point till they just die, and he like dies right. or something like that. Yeah. And that's the first part when I'm like, oh, actually, and I don't know if it's because I'm so protective of rats as a species or something like that. It's just not true. They're not. They're actually pretty smart. Yeah. And overdose is actually not a typical situation. They yeah. are very good at, and this isn't just rats, but other animals, including humans for the most part, are pretty good at titrating levels of drug intake to a level that is, and I'll use psychology terms, reinforcing. So it's keeping you like, this is worth responding for this much. But if you go above that, there's actually side effects kinds of things related to the drug that might make it harder for you to respond. Like you get too sleepy if mm -hmm. it's a sedating drug or if it's a drug like a psychostimulant, you're just like, yeah, you're over there, like chewing right. your fingers or something. So right in the, there's a sweet spot and the mm -hmm. rats find that and this, this is like my little graph. They just, they'll <laughs> stay like, a, they won't just go like, ah, and then die. 
uh, and in that that one of those papers, I was looking at it. It does mention some of the rats died, right? And I was like, "What's up with that?" They actually, from what, the way I read it, they actually died like in the first few days. Um, it was something about they got um, they weren't drinking enough water. It was like this weird oh, little okay. little so caveat like, in the method. It might section. have been dehydration. Yeah, it was like as dehydration. Because well. in my experience. Um, Working w- with animal models because I work with rats because we haven't really talked about that yet. But yeah, I've worked a lot with rats self-administering cocaine and a little bit working with heroin. And it's again, they're just really unlikely for them to just uh, you know they don't overdose. Uh, OD. Mm. Unlo- there are certain kinds of situations like you can set up the context. Some really interesting kind of um, macabre kinds of situations Tell us about with that. overdose yeah. that I haven't worked with, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, there are there's an interesting set of papers. Uh, Shepard Siegel is a psychologist, is still doing work on this. It kind of a little bit more esoteric, I think, at this point. But some of the early work was with rats, trying to understand like why people overdose on heroin and about how the role of the context can become so important. And this is kind Which of is a, what the video is talking about. Yeah, yeah. this is a little bit more like actual just conditioned. Hmm. Like when you take, so the, this is kind of a side, I'll keep this really quick, but no. <laughs> um, you may have heard, you know, somebody that's overdosed on heroin, right? Kind of like in our generation. This, yeah. I don't know if you knew anybody like, from like high school, like I knew, not oh, in high school, but yeah. in the subsequent years, like yeah. oh, so and so died. They overdosed on. We come heroin. from Linden. Like, they get in car accidents, and yeah. Yeah. it's mostly car accidents. Corn mazes. Farm equipment. Yeah, farm farm. Equipment. yeah. it's very sad actually. But <laughs> but so <laughs> like so people say, yeah. oh, they overdosed. Like like, and it was because they took too much. Yeah, they were, and it was celebrities. I've heard this. Yeah, you know, so and so overdosed on heroin, and it's like. I don't, maybe maybe I kind of look look and only see what what I want to see. But have you ever heard that idea? Like they weren't expecting to take the drug that day after the Oscars or whatever. Right. And they hadn't had the drug in a long time, so they mm. weren't to- as tolerant. And oh. so there's just that physical level of tolerance that you don't have. So then you take this big dose because when I used to take it, I used to take this big dose. Right. It's kind of oh, like wow. if you haven't been drinking alcohol in a long time. Right. And you're like, ah, I used to drink you know, 12-pack or something, and then you have, like, one pint yeah. or something, you're like, yeah. Because yeah. you're old and right. have right. children. Right. Right. That is true for all of us. Right. <laughs> um, not the 12-pack things. But, <laughs> so what you also can have, condi- this can happen with alcohol, too, but with yeah. opiates, if you take the heroin, mm-hmm. it could also be with morphine, in the same context, repeatedly, you can actually have conditioned tolerance. Mm-hmm. So in that particular space, with like those people or that actually literally that particular room or something like that, you develop like an extra level of tolerance. Right. That's not there if you go into some other environment and take the same dose of the drug. So right. that whole conditioned tolerance kind of effect was was studied initially with an endpoint with rats where they actually would die. Mm-hmm. And that's typically not what how they do their animal research these days, but it was kind of this surprising finding like here's these rats this one and this one, they have the same experience of increasing doses of morphine over several days. They both have it in box A, but on the test day, this guy now gets put in a, a box they've never been in before, gets the same dose as this guy that stays in the box he's familiar with. This one dies. Wow. And so that's where that's it was insane. like, well, maybe that's what happens with with people. Yeah. Well, it's it's like that, <laughs> <Wow>. like, <laughs> what is it, that old story that, you know, you hear about the 
um, I don't remember when I heard this as a child, um, the story of the old man who is like the oldest man in the village or something like that, and he gets um, invited to the king's castle for a great big feast because it's his birthday and he's the oldest person like in that kingdom or whatever. And so the king gives him like this big feast and this old man, you know, has been eating the same thing every day, you know, his whole life because he's, you know, not a king. And then the day after he eats that meal, he like dies, right? Because his body's just not used it's to not, it. Right, it's not. <laughs> I was gonna say he explodes or something. He explodes, right. Yes. right. It's a Monty right. Python it's scene. It's the Monty get to your research though because you're saying you you work with rats so if you could give us like a, a brief what do you do and then we'll, we'll take a break and go right into your research into that so yeah so right working with rats and it, it so that started when I was in graduate school I was actually working with rats but looking at behavior related to antipsychotic drugs not Ooh. that the rats were psychotic right but it was more the effects of drugs like uh, antipsychotics like some of the older ones like haloperidol and some of the newer ones like risperidone or risperdol is the... I don't know the, any the of these. The trade name. <laughs> um, and some of the effects, they, effects yeah. they have on motor behavior, like ability to move because antipsychotic drugs affect, some of them predominantly affect the neurotransmitter dopamine. Okay. And dopamine is involved in reinforcement and all this addiction stuff. But it also kind of, as part of that, it's involved in getting you to orient and be attracted to certain things in the environment. And that to be able to do that, you have to be able to move. So there's this whole motor movement component. And that's what the new professor at the time, that's what he was studying. In he, grad school. In, uh, yeah, so then when I met him in grad school, he had just moved there from UCLA and he was like setting up to study the neurochemistry of the consequences of taking certain antipsychotic drugs, in particular over like months and months and months. Wow. And so we were studying that, but he also was interested in drugs of abuse. So then eventually he got a grant and then we transitioned over to studying cocaine self-administration, primarily interested in that neurotrans same neurotransmitter, dopamine. Right. And dopamine just like could we give like a maybe easier definition? Like is it is it the stuff that makes you feel happy? Like is that basically what it is? If it's kind of, now you're sounding like that video. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> just the socks. The Kurzgesagt. So So this there's this neurotransmitter. It's um it, it's actually not just in our brains, but it's like wow. the cardiovascular system and so it's involved in a lot of different kinds of functions in the body. Uh, but in the brain, even within the brain there's several things going on. It's involved in area of the brain like the hypothalamus controlling um, even like really strange things like body oil. Really? Like moi. Uh, but if you exercise, <laughs> like, Gross. does it come <laughs> out? Yeah. Uh, but, like it, but if you exercise, doesn't that like trigger more happy happiness? So that, what the, is yeah, that? To the happy thing, okay. like how does it, it, it seems to be involved in along the, the spectrum of like hedonia, which is like, you know, feeling really good and hedonics, that term. It, on the flip Nothing. side is anhedonia, yeah. like the opposite of it. Okay. So hedonic, like if you think of 
what people do, like engage in like the skydiving, like wow, the rush of it and the yeah. feel of this and the the yum of this or whatever, all the good stuff. On that, a dopamine's been associated with hedonia, like okay. kind of the thrill seeking, the pleasure kind of stuff. Right. It's the reality of what's going on in the brain during that experience, when somebody's experiencing something like, whoa, this is really great. It's really an interplay, most likely, between dopamine and other neurotransmitters, including the endogenous opiates. Okay. So you're back to, so it kind of fits. Back like, to the whoa, opiates. Like those opiates are in there and when people experience it. So it's yeah. it's part of that, but it's not just that. So right. that's why I was kind of getting on your case. That's right, because that. it's not as simplistic as the beautiful cartoons. Right. right. Yeah. Or just like it's the happy, it's the happy neurotransmitter, drug. because it's yeah. actually, it's more of a, kind of a neuromodulator in some ways. Like it fine tunes how information is processed in okay. the brain and can kind of push it in one direction versus the other. It helps to make associations. So it's very much involved in learning. Oh, wow. Um, and of uh, that impulse control stuff, attention. But as we were talking about with the, ad- the addiction definition, like yeah. and also through the DSM, you know, addiction's a lot of things. Right. And it is, there's the pleasure part of it. Uh, but there's the, there's the impulse control and like getting also, you know, getting caught up like, oh, there's that thing that reminds me, the drug paired cues, that kind right. of thing. So learning's uh, very important. And so that's why it keeps coming up, I think. If you, if you were to do a search online, like in the scholarly stuff like PubMed through the National Library of Medicine, and you do addiction neurotransmitter, you're going to see a lot of different neurotransmitters come up, but the bulk of that search, the thousands and thousands of papers, is going to be something about dopamine in there. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be related to all these different pieces of the addiction definition we were talking about. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about your research and then how addiction is portrayed in pop culture. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about addiction with Dr. Jeff Grimm. And we were just finishing up our discussion about that video we just watched. We didn't touch on one last thing, and that was the idea of, there was the example in the video of Vietnam vets, and they come back home, and they weren't as addicted as people thought they would be. And it's the idea of community, and if these people who are addicted to cocaine or heroin, if they had a better community, then it would be easier for them to deal with the withdrawal. So what do you have right. to say about that? Like, right, that, <laughs> and again, that, that's, I remember being taught that in uh, some class, I don't remember what class it was, but that, I mean, that's a really common knowledge thing about Vietnam vets, and there was that one big study where they followed people when they came back, and for the most part, they did not continue with their heroin habits. And so I think that's pretty interesting in itself, you know, trying to figure out exactly why that's the case. The video, you know, suggests it's because when they came back, they had their social environment, the structure was their support, so they didn't need to have the drug. And maybe for some people, that's the case. I, I, right. I'm, it's a little bit kind of oversimplistic. 
And it also doesn't really identify the fact that a lot of veterans, when they come back, you know, are experiencing stress, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And just, yeah, so there's actually, there are actually pretty high rates of substance use disorder among vets. And, you know, maybe that is a continuation of that same problem identified in the video, but not having the, the structure and all that. So I'm not trying to diss that right. basic idea that's there other than to say like, well, I don't, you know, they just observed that that relationship between coming back and not for the most part, continuing their heroin use. But you could come up with, it's probably nuanced, the availability, it's different, stressful, all this kind of stuff is yeah. there. So the, the part that when I saw that in the that video, and then we started talking about Dr. Alexander and the Rat Park and all that, that where it intersects with what we've been doing in the lab here at Western for the last few years, is that idea of uh, an environment that provides something kind of unique and I'll use the psychology term, reinforcing, that could, for our subjects, and again, our subjects are rats, provide an alternative kind of a place that contrasts in some ways with the drug experience in a way that having the nice environment makes the, the drug experience less reinforcing right. So between the two. And so that, that kind of fits with, I think, what Alexander was, he said it more in subsequent years. His first papers are pretty much straightforward laboratory reports. So this is, reports, this is the neuroscientist that is the Rat Park that was Right, the Rat the Park. So he's written some books. If people are interested, they just look up his name. And he was at Simon Fraser and then now... Oh, that's just right here? Yeah, just right across the, the border. But he's written some books more about the clinical experience of being an, an addict and that theme of connectiveness and the social connections, all that kind of stuff. So there's some some cool stuff to, to look at there. But when you pull it back to the laboratory where you're trying to like keep things all nice and your variables all controlled and all that kind of stuff. And if you're working with rats too, I mean, like I said, they're pretty smart but they're not, you know, Vietnam vets coming back. They don't have this social network, you know, right. like we have and all the history and the comorbidity of other smoking and all this kind of stuff. So you can start to look at just kind of basic little elements that might be part of that big you know, mess of being an addict. Right. And so in our lab, we have rats that self-administer, but we're actually working. So how do they self-administer? Yeah, so how do they self-administer? It's a little bit different than in the video. So the video just has bottle A and bottle B, and they choose between the two. But this um, one, they actually this get the rubber band <laughs> out. They have, no. Yeah. But what we're doing right now is with sugar. So that's a little bit different. If you wanted to study intravenous drug use, that's actually what I did study in graduate school and at my postdoctoral work at NIH, at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which is part of NIH. In that case, they have a surgery and they have a catheter implanted oh. into a jugular vein. And then you can set it up after they've recovered from the surgery where they make a response, like Skinner box, operant, you know, basically it's all of, you've heard of Skinner. Mm -mm. No. Neither of no. us, no. So, okay. So Skinner <laughs> I know, people. Principal Skinner. Principal yeah. Skinner. Yes. No. That's not the one. The one. This is a famous research psychologist. Mm -hmm. He's often these days in, in the psychology people sometimes are like, oh, you know, that kind of stuff because ah. people have moved into some other really important, interesting things. He's not cool things. now. I think he's still cool because he really... <laughs> you found, always thought he was yeah, cool. He would reduce things to a small scale where you could operationalize you could, the behavior, you could come up with 
situation that was well controlled. So basically, it's a, a rat in a box. There's a lever. They press the lever. Oh yes, okay. They get reinforced. So it's right. a, that word came from Skinner. Well, he, he used it in that particular application, and so that became kind of synonymous with Skinner is all like positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement. That's all Skinnerian psychology. Hmm. And so Skinnerian, Skinnerian, right? <laughs> well, and, that makes me think of Pavlovian, right? Right. So Skinnerian yeah. is you know if you're talking about the operant, it's called the operant box. But the the rat has to make some kind of response. So press the lever, they get reinforced. So that's kind of Skinner in a nutshell. Korsgazak. So that's Skinner in a Korsgazak. 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 Yeah. Pavlov in a Korsgazak. German people are just like, oh my god. I know. Um, so Pavlov's like the dog. Pavlov's dog. The intro site kind of description, and of course these studies are always more elaborate. The dog would be presented with, and they were restrained. They were just like wandering around the the lab, but like on a leash or something. Here's some meat. And then dogs usually go like, you know, and then they... How do they go? They brrr. Oh, okay. <laughs> in German. That's their response in to German. meat. Yes. <laughs> They're happy. They say meat. They salivate. They yeah. drool. Right. Right? So that's a, a, a normal response. You don't have to learn. That just kind of happens. And so what Pavlov did is he associated the meat presentation with a, a bell. Meat, ring-a-ding. <laughs> yeah. Over and over. Right. Over and over and over. Dinner the dog, the right? Dinner bell. bell. Right. right. And then eventually you could ring the bell without the meat being present and the dog would salivate. So that's associative learning and Pavlo- sometimes referred to as Pavlovian associative learning or there's other ways people describe it. So that's probably happening in the Skinner box as well. When he when the rat's going like... Burp. Yeah, because they're associating like this place is where when I press the lever, I get my heroin or my cocaine or and what we're doing presently, my little drop of sucrose solution, Ooh. which rats really do like sugar. They're just like way into it. And a lot of people like sugar. A lot of people yeah. like sugar. So that was something when I was just finishing at my postdoc that was at NIH, NIDA, which is in Baltimore. I don't mention that. So way on the other side of the country, we I was doing work with cocaine and we started doing a little bit of side stuff, kind of comparative stuff with, with sugar. And then when I came here to Western, it, I found it was easier to work with sugar, partly because of the not having to do as much surgical kind of stuff to get those catheters in all that but also it was starting because i've been here 14 plus years or something like that it, it was starting to get to be that time where people started talking more and more about uh obesity right especially in the united states and there are some really interesting things if you look at the centers for disease control and prevention on their website they have these pictures it's a whole powerpoint you can download and there are maps of the united states it looks like an election map because mm-hmm. it's color-coded yeah but it's by obesity <sighs> rates and if you can look over year by year by year and the it's colors spread. change yeah. and change and change and it's like so that was people are starting to pick up on that and then i was like well we're studying you know this behavior with the drugs where they come back over and over and then cues in the environment remind them and you think of craving and not being able to kind of control your ability to refrain from something if it's a drug but also a food so it's kind of like is this similar or dissimilar to you know drug addiction so that question is part of what drove me the last many years now to study sugar, but in its own, it's just become like an interesting thing to study. Is Partly because it's linked to, to, yeah, does it apply to more to obesity? And it's kind of, you know, drug addiction stuff is a little bit more dramatic, like, you know, like heroin addicts. And it's a huge problem. People are terribly suffering. Um, and in some ways, it's getting worse, like with heroin addiction. It's not like there's zillions more people doing it, but the the rate is actually ticking up and Mm. overdoses are ticking up in the United States. It's at a very low level though. 
when you look at 30% of adults in the U.S. are obese. And, right. you know, that's like a lot of people. And mm. it's there's a lot of complications that arise from obesity. Well, I want I want to I don't want to let our viewers or listeners down and I want to talk about pop culture even right. if it is for a couple minutes. Yeah. Um so I want to I never I don't see movies ever. Ever? But you have Didn't kids. I, I'm just yeah. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, I did want to bring up, which um, is going to make Jordan groan, and we have talked about this before, about that episode in Star Trek. Groan. Oh, yeah. The the Star Trek Next Generation episode, where they're wearing those things that look like Google Glasses, and they're playing that game, and I think they say... Pokemon Go? Not Pokemon Go. (laughs) I love Pokemon Go. Um, But so they're wearing those Google Glasses in Star Trek Next Generation, it looks like Google Glasses. It's not what that is. And they're playing this yeah. game where every time they, you know, score score a point in the game, they get, like, I think dopamine or some sort of chemical released in their brain, which gives them happiness. And, and like, the whole ship becomes addicted except for, like, two children. And one of them's Ashley Judd, actually, as a child. Like, no the actress. Way. Yeah. Yeah, watch it. It's no. Ashley Judd. No, I won't. You will. I won't watch it. No. It's Ashley Judd and Will Wheaton. I, you, you liked Star Trek. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nope. So, so like, that's really simplistic. More, I talk to you that kind of think that, like, it would have to be more complicated than just I'm wearing these Google glasses and getting chemicals. Or could it be that easy and people could just be like, I'm going to do this forever? So the idea of having some way to, like, stimulate the dopamine system, right. you know, which is it's probably more complicated than that, right. and then that becoming, like, something you would be preoccupied with. Well, is, and it's part of the environment as well yeah. because the glasses affect your environment. So that's like seeing. taking it, you know, to this whole other level. Yeah. But it's been, it was shown like in, the, I think, the 19, early 1950s in a, a couple of studies where they were looking for something else uh, more related to depression. Mm-hmm. But if you put an electrode down into the brain, they did the, the uh, it's actually a video clip I show in some of my, my classes. Oh, please give um, us this video clip. Where... <laughs> They, they put this electrode in. It was more for, again, for depression. Remember that, what I was saying, like anhedonia and hedonia? So it's like feeling really great versus like no feeling at all, you know? So you kind of think of like depression being somewhere along maybe on this end over here. Yeah. Like not really feeling things and blah. Yeah. Um, so they were trying to understand the neurobiology of that and also have this help somebody out. So they put this electrode in to an area called the nucleus accumbens, which is a part of the brain that receives a lot of dopamine. So again, okay. if you did that literature search, like addiction, dopamine. dopamine, brain region, many, 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 many hundreds, if not thousands of the studies would be indicating nucleus accumbens. So that's the ana- okay. one anatomical site that's really key to this. So anyways, this person with the electrode was then supplied with a battery pack and a button, and she could push the button and it would you know, add current into this electrode. And then She'd be like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> she really liked it. So like the Google Glasses yeah. in yeah. Star Trek Next and, Generation. And I, I don't know what really happened with that person because I usually just I just have this old video clip. Yeah, maybe so we I don't know find if out. they let her just <laughs> like become like, oh, you know, just do that all the time. Yeah. But I could totally imagine if there was a way, I mean, there is a way if somebody wanted to consent to the surgery and have the electrode implanted, maybe can't do it in the United States, maybe Canada. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Uh, why not? But we, we couldn't. Couldn't we sort of liken this to Pokemon, where you're going and yeah, you, you so throw it? I don't know what, you th- what they're called, the Pokeball or whatever. You it's throw called it, exactly so, that. Yeah. And so then you, you like catch it, and in. then you really like get that dopamine. Right. Like, yeah. So what? You don't need the electrode if you could 
have some kind of if it's that enthralling and you know there it is, is uh, <laughs> it, like you were saying like checking becoming a habit that kind of a thing the DSM 5 which is the most recent one has those substance use disorder criteria listed out but internet gaming is one of the the areas that wow. became a new focus wow and so you know, now that was before Pokemon right. Go and all that but you could imagine like if you had the right circumstances and the right person yeah Maybe it wouldn't become like the Star Trek episode. Well, the uh, the video game addiction is happening a lot where there are these uh, video game cafes, I believe, and there was like, I, I think there was a problem in Korea or South Korea where they had these kids and they were like dying because they were right. playing for like 30 hours straight. Right, it has become, I, I was just looking at the, the DSM thing recently, but kind of at the, the bottom of it, like this is an area that needs to be further explored, especially because we're seeing things happening in Asian countries. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, that's where it seems to be most predominant it now um, but you know it could be take off anywhere yeah people just get into it so much but yeah people aren't paying attention to their jobs and taking care I've read something about somebody not taking care of their kids and like yeah crazy stuff like that but on on a hopeful end I'd like to yeah. end on a hopeful so, note <laughs> sure yeah so I think on a hopeful note you were saying that as you're studying addiction now even with sugar and all these things that we aren't necessarily coining as you know, the substance abuse, the drugs that we're used to, like heroin or co cocaine, but like these video games and sugar, more and more research is being done for those things. Um, and maybe the video isn't, it's kind of right. Right, well, I think, <laughs> that, yeah, the, ni the nice thing about it is that it does have like, here's what we maybe could do about addiction. You can't go wrong by, you know, helping provide social support and structure for people. So I think that definitely is a key element of it. The video kind of like makes it sound like, you know, that's it. Right. Uh, but if you have somebody who has had, you know, long history of experience with heroin or with cocaine, or maybe there's something about sugar too, there are changes that happen throughout the brain. And they are related to, again, the ability to kind of learn about things, the reinforcement process that we were talking about, but also that impulse control. And those aren't necessarily just gonna go away. I mean, talk about the brain being this plastic organ, the connections between things. It's, it's down to like, you know, you're talking about trillions of connections between neurons, it's trillions here. Yeah. And you can't just like go, okay, now we're in this nice environment and everything's gonna go back the way it was. It'll never go back the way it was. You're gonna have to kind of retrain the system. And for some people that might be impossible, especially in those parts of the brain that involved in like impulse control, that might just always be an issue that you have to then kind of find workarounds. You have to learn other kinds of ways of managing that behavior. So no matter the nicest place you end up in with the most amazing social support, you're still dealing with you know somebody who's potentially, you're in, you're, yeah. your brain has changed. Yeah. And that's not going to be just simply fixed by a, a changed in environment. But that would be a big piece of it. It's like, well, let's move you yeah. to this great place. If, you know, like you think of the movie star people, I sometimes horribly mentioned in my classes, like Robert Downey Jr. You're right. Doing, sure. He's doing he's great doing now. He's doing so good. And if people don't know the history, you know, like he wasn't always doing so well. And he relapsed, I don't know how many times. But he's, you know... Yeah. He's in a place where it seems to be working out really well. Yeah. But 20 years ago, he was like, oh, he relapsed again. Made that great film. Everything was going, oh. 
Yeah. Oh, no, oh, you know, that kind of a thing. That's sort of why they do it all the rehab in these right. nice places, right? Everyone's well, that could be, you know, you, you provide for some of those places. I think they do, especially if you can afford it. Unfortunately, that's yeah. not the typical. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation. <laughs> no I want to thank you for talking to us. And it is a little happiness because you're saying you can you can work on this. And I'm doing research and trying to find more things. Right. And I'm obviously not the only. There's a lot of people doing really great work. Uh, and not just in the United States. Like principles. Like principles. Careful, careful with those ingredients, they can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.